Welcome to The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Each and every podcast, hosts Mike Niemer and Greg Frank will bring you energy experts to help you better understand the renewable and sustainability space. Education is important to us because it's important to you, the listener. Now here's Mike Niemer and Greg Frank. It is another episode of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. I am Greg Frank, going to get to our eRenewable CEO, Mike Niemer, with me in just a minute. And of course, we will have our guest, Chris Hyde, on the pod. But before we get to today's episode, we want to check in with eRenewable COO, Ann Niemer. Ann has a few words for us. Ann Niemer here, COO of eRenewable. If you are a wind, solar, or battery storage developer, and you're looking to find an off-taker, our online live auction is a perfect platform to help you find that buyer. Conversely, if you're a CNI customer and you're looking to establish a PPA or VPPA, our auction platform could work for you. To learn more about how we can assist you with your power purchase agreement, visit us at eRenewable.com. And now, back to the Green Insider. And we welcome you into the Green Insider, powered by eRenewable, alongside Mike Niemer. My name is Greg Frank. This is episode 181 of the podcast. And Mike, as we were just saying, it's Kind of good to mix it up a little bit, a little bit in studio, a little bit on Zoom, and we're in studio today recording. Yeah, we are, and next week we're going to be in studio a little bit more. We have two of our three tapings next week are going to be in studio because I have a NEMA conference the following week to go to, so uh, it's always exciting to be in person. You know, you'll enjoy talking with Chris here today because in person just gives you a different flavor, a little bit better conversation, and it's exciting to be, always be seeing somebody face-to-face, you know, enough of the pandemic Zoom stuff, right? Absolutely. (laughs) As uh, Mike mentioned, our guest is Chris Hyde. He is the director of sales for WeatherDesk and meteorologist at Maxar. Chris, good to have you aboard. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Appreciate the invite. Absolutely. So uh, as we always like to uh, give a warm welcome to our guests, we always like to kind of give them the floor to tell us a little bit about how you got to the title you're at, the company you're at, and a little bit of your background into uh, where you are now. Yeah, no, appreciate that. Yeah, my, my background goes goes back to elementary school days. I grew up in Northeast Ohio. And if you ever talk to meteorologists, they usually have one big extreme event activity that occurs in their life to get them involved with weather. So mine was a big tornado outbreak in the mid 80s. And that bug just kind of stuck with me uh, and learned a little bit more into meteorology, going to college, Penn State meteorology. And uh, from 98, when I graduated, I'm 25 years later, I'm with the company today. And besides wearing my meteorology hat and and seasonal forecasting, I also uh, sell our uh, weather products uh, into the energy and agricultural commodities uh, markets. Well, you know, in um, the world of both agriculture and energy, the weather is a critical factor as to what the commodity price is about to do, what it's going to do into the future, whether it's the future being one month, one year, 10 years, it doesn't matter. True. Your weather forecasting is very, very important. So what I've always wanted to ask meteorologists, I'm putting you on the spot here. We're off script. Here we go. Fair enough. When you get it wrong, (laughs) how often does your phone ring? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the good thing is uh, being on the side that we are and not in the mix uh, right on the trade floor. We don't get as much, you know, uh, thrown at us, uh, the rotten tomatoes thrown at us. But, yes, we do hear about it if, uh, 
you know, the forecast uh, goes exceedingly wrong in, in the different direction from what they're trying to take position on. But, you know, it's all about trends, right? Uh, go over time, our credibility is good. Uh, the more times we get uh, the none on the accuracy. Uh, so if there's an extreme event that someone is interested in and say, what was your forecast for that polar vortex in this year? We can give them our archive forecast and we can show what we did or how far away we were from the actual. So we recognize we're not going to be always 100% right all the time, but at least to get to the best versus our competition and trend over time to, to improve our credibility and our accuracy. Because, you know, anybody that ever trades their own stock portfolio – or in the trading world, they know that their broker could be wrong on their advice because you can't truly know exactly what's going to happen. You only go with the yeah. odds. Same with the weather desk. Correct. And so with that said, I know, Max, are you guys really have – a known weather desk team. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. We have a 24-7 operation uh, for uh, the weather desk uh, uh, division of Maxar uh, and about uh, 30 people uh, on staff, 30, 35 uh, employees for the weather desk uh, section. And uh, over two-thirds of them are meteorologists from your developers, programmers, uh, sales folks uh, like me. Uh, but also uh, the operations staff, um, you know, they're, they're helping customers out to consult with them on real-time, day-ahead power trading, for example, our utility customers. If there's thunderstorms rolling through and it has an impact on load on the grid, they're there weekends and holidays to, to consult with customers and, and help guide them along to, to reach curve the 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 temperature uh, trends uh, which certainly has an impact on on load and same with the renewables uh, we have a 24 7 operation renewables change as far as the generation output for wind and solar uh, different farms uh, so we have support for our customers who who look at that uh, and we have customers globally so you know we have to be on our toes uh, knowing how the weather impacts things not just in north america uh, but in all the other key uh uh, spots around the, the globe, including uh, Europe and East Asia, for example, where most of the population and, and energy demand is, is located. You mentioned 25 years uh, in the business. I'm just curious, kind of in that time, what you've seen as far as changes in energy markets and how that relates to weather and climate. Yeah, yeah, no, when, uh, hard to believe. Uh, I'm going to really date myself uh, coming out of school in the late 90s. But we were uh, cranking out reports via fax machine. A lot of people maybe don't know what a fax machine is, but we were cranking those out, trying to get them out the same exact time for our customers, right? Because we're doing with a lot of trading customers, and you want to send a report out faster to one customer versus another. You don't want to show any partiality. Uh, and then, you know, how things evolve from just temperature supporting the natural gas markets on the heels of the uh, deregulation in the 90s. We started to support weather for the power markets. Uh, then along came weather derivatives and renewables. Uh, so it's, it's interesting how things have evolved uh, since that point 25 years ago. And now, which we'll probably touch on a little bit today, is, is climate change. Uh, the, the weather has definitely impacted things on, on things for like seasonal shifts and the amount of extreme weather events that we've observed, especially over the last uh, couple decades. Well, you know, a lot of our listeners, Chris, uh, they listen to us to learn about sustainability and ESG and what renewable products are out there, but they're not necessarily power or natural gas traders. Why don't you, for the listeners, tell them how does your market of weather 
affect their market of power and natural gas? What's that do to the prices? How's there, why is that the driver? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of cite, uh, to, to help answer that question, Mike, a couple examples of the, uh, the impact for ERCOT uh, with uh, what happened this past February and then a couple years ago uh, in that February event that was a lot more severe. I mean, the, the power prices uh, really were reflective of the extreme weather uh, to come down. Um, or the polar vortex events, uh, you know, five, six years ago that happened and impacted things in the Midwest and, and Northeast. Or another example is, is the tropics, uh, a good example on how uh, natural gas prices uh, really were reflective in extreme weather was back in 2005 with Rita and Katrina. So all these have the, the same amount in common as to give our customers as, as much advanced lead time as possible so they can lock in certain positions or if they're in operations, evacuation out of the Gulf at a, at a, at a time where it's hopefully it's not too premature to evacuate folks. Uh, so the, the extreme weather events, to give them a heads up as much as possible where people can make different decisions, whether it's on the trading side or the operations side, uh, is, is our main focus is what we do uh, in our, our weather group. Well, you know, I know we are leaving the El Nino pattern and going into El Nino. Tell us what that's going to mean with regards not only what's our basic weather going to do for the next year or two, mm -hmm. but how's that going to affect the hurricane market? Yeah. We're here in Houston, and that's what we all care about. And sure. all those natural gas and oil platforms out in the Gulf, that's what they're going to care about. Tell us how that transitions from the one type of more uh, weather pattern we're in to the next how's yeah. that what's that mean yeah we're evolving out of what's called a triple la nina we've only had uh three la nina's events in a row uh three times since 1950. So not a lot of data to back that up, but we do know that we've never had a fourth La Nina in a row. And thus, as you mentioned, Mike, we're going into an El Nino right now. It's really uh, the warming of the water temperatures in the Central Pacific. But believe it or not, all that impact in the Central Pacific has a bearing downstream here in North America, including the tropical season. Uh, so what I tell our customers, uh, the difference between La Nina and El Nino El Nino's bearish for tropical activity. That doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to have zero in the Gulf or zero overall in the Atlantic. La Nina is more the bullish, where it's a lot more frequent. And the reason why, El Nino tends to have a lot more shear or ripping apart of these storms in the upper atmosphere. So as they form off the African coast and traverse westward across the Atlantic to have impacts for the uh, eastern seaboard or to the Gulf, uh, they don't have as much chance to get going. Uh, the one positive though is we expect water temperatures uh, bath water fuel the fire for these systems to remain intact uh, for this season so our our uh, forecast for the the atlantic tropical season including the gulf is kind of seasonal to below normal uh, it, it depends on the evolution of el nino how strong it gets the stronger the el nino the more bearish it is for tropical activity and usually you have that peak right in, in august september of uh, uh, tropical activity peaking overall across the basin and including in the Gulf as well. So not to say, with all that said, <laughs> not to say that you're not going to get any tropical activity at all impacting the the, uh, the producing area in the Gulf from Mobile to Corpus. Uh, it only takes one, right? And the one thing that we have noticed, 
La Nina, El Nino aside, whenever these systems get going, especially the last year, extreme amounts of rain. We all know it with Harvey here in Houston uh, back in 2017. So that's something that will impact uh, refineries, uh, certainly evacuation of the hurricane. But you don't necessarily have to have a major Category 4 or 5 hurricane. It's the flooding that could have a, an impact on, on some things from an energy standpoint as well. Chris, I just wanted to jump in, and yeah. I know that on a you know localized basis here in Houston where we're based out of, we're talking about the hurricane season, but uh, I know you did say that you grew up in Northeast Ohio, you went to Penn State, and I see your company's based in Washington, D.C. I grew up just outside of Philadelphia, so okay. I'm just curious in terms of your uh, – nationally like the different times of year that you know obviously down here it's hurricane season and up north it's the winter and and you know when the snowstorms are going to hit mm-hmm. uh and out west it could be the earthquakes or whatever so uh, what are the busier times of year i mean it's different times of year for different regions of the sure. country are different concerns so for you guys at maxar what are some of the busier times of year because yeah. it's all varied i'm sure yeah no i, I would say the the uh, uh, sort of the fall transition season or the hurricane season is probably the busiest time of the year. Uh, you know, I know we're talking golf and, and energy folks, but certainly uh, the impacts along the eastern seaboard uh, from a utility standpoint, operations standpoint is huge uh, for the for the tropics. So I'd send like a Q3 is probably uh, going into the start of the winter. Q4 is probably our busiest time of the year. Um, certainly things that we monitor going into the summer for our summer outlook, uh, you know, the hotter it is, the more, uh, demand for air conditioning use. Uh, we're looking at drought conditions, the drier the soil moisture tends to enhance, uh, high temperatures. You mentioned Philly. Uh, I, I'm in the D.C. area. We're pretty dry right now. We're expecting to get rains this weekend. Uh, but those are areas that you look at for like a power trader in PJM, for example. Uh, well, gee, maybe that might be a risk for this upcoming summer, uh, the dry of the soil moisture with any drought conditions or any pockets in ERCOT if you're an ERCOT trader. Those are things going into the summer season that are like, okay, I have to have in the back of my mind that there could be some enhanced uh, uh, risk uh, going going into the, the next few months. Well, just to cover coast to coast, let's go to the fire season in California. Mm, yes. What kind of weather forecasting takes place for them to know they're getting they're in fire season and you're suspect to more fires than normal do you have that kind of predictions yeah yeah uh no great question and uh unlike the last 10 to 20 years we actually have uh going into a season particularly for california with all these what's called these atmospheric rivers and all the uh, the uh, copious amounts of moisture the last few months where uh there's some positivity uh with regard to the California fire season. So I don't think uh, right now, anyways, it's not going to be as severe going into the season for them. Now, interior west, southwest, there's still some drought going on there and further north in the Rockies. But California in particular, I think they'll have a, a little less of a severe uh, fire season uh, than what we've had for quite some time. And we do look at things like drought that I mentioned. Uh, we look at things at vegetation uh, indices uh, to see how dry the, the tender is, uh, and certainly the monsoon season, or lack thereof, once we get to that point uh, later in the summer uh, for California. Um, 
want to move into the Midwest and, and further? Sure, let's go ahead. <laughs> All right. So the Midwest, uh, we're looking at uh, the next few months of some potential flooding uh, because of the copious amounts of moisture and particularly snowpack in the upper Midwest flowing into the northern Mississippi uh, uh, Valley region. Uh, you know, areas like Minneapolis just saw snow as of last weekend. Uh, hard to believe we're still talking snow in the upper Midwest. They've had, I think, the second uh, most snowiest season uh, from Minneapolis. So that's an area of concern as far as flooding for that area. And that has an impact on temperatures over the summer where it might be tend to be a little bit more subdued on the temperatures because the copious amounts of moisture. You get further south uh, in the southern plains, uh, southern Midwest, it is a lot drier. Uh, we don't have as much of a, a flooding risk there. So there's an app to have a little bit more uh, chance of, of high temperatures to be above normal uh, for the summer. So like I said, going back to from a power trading perspective, areas like MISO, SPP, here in ERCOT, uh, those are areas that I think will have an enhanced risk for uh, warmer than normal temperatures for this upcoming uh, summer season. Uh, Chris, yeah. last one for me, just sure. in terms of the long-term climate shift, because we've been talking a lot about 2023 and the summer. Um, what does Maxar have in terms of products or insights to support preparing for long-term climate shifts and you know obviously there's ESG impacts there as well absolutely yeah so we just literally launched uh, initial release of our climate desk suite of products a couple weeks ago and we've been getting a, a lot of requests from customers saying okay we have a, a, a pretty good product suite of forecasts from hourly uh, all the way out to a seasonal forecast I want to know, I'm monitoring my renewables assets, whether it's a wind or solar farm, and I want to know if the generation output is going to be uh, the same, if not higher or lower, in the year 2030, in the year 2040, 50. All the way, we have a forecast with this uh, product that we launched of climate models that go out to 2100. So whatever the use case is, and I cited, of course, on the renewables, it could be hydroelectric uh, type of focus, um, a variety of different things, and it's global. So if you have an asset that is uh, in a remote area, we have that covered uh, with our uh, Climate Desk suite of products. Uh, so to answer your question, you can look at the trends, where trends are going, or you can look at a very uh, specific asset that a, that a company, one of our customers, uh, would own to try to find those answers on where things are going from a climate perspective. Well, you know, with uh, the popularity of ESG now and the investors looking for people to try to be sustainable, and trying to do the right thing, yeah. Uh, even though the uh, federal government here in the United States has made a mandate for certain things to happen, we know that's only a matter of time. Are you positioning your company to be able to provide a support that wasn't needed three or four years ago in the public marketplace? Yeah, I, I, I would uh, agree with that. Uh, and, of course, we're focused, being on the weather, climate side of things, we're focused on that E part of the equation of ESG. You know, we'll leave it to the experts on the regulatory and, and the, the government and the inspections, but we're, we're the E part of that whole equation. And when people uh, ask questions like, well, gee, what, are, you know, we see the weather, we've seen a noticeable change in the seasons, how they've shifted, uh, noticeable normal or what, or lack thereof of a, a normal weather to answer those questions in a way where it gives them different scenarios with different climate models, 
uh, or gives them better than I don't know. So that's where we come in to help them with that E part of that ESG. And then that course, uh, with those answers on the E part, that helps them with the, the sustainability and, and the governance uh, part of that as well. Well, in case you didn't know, today you were part of the S. Uh, our podcast goes into the social category for education. Sweet. So now you're part of E and S now today. Awesome. So anyway, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. He's a repeat guest. Uh, he came on our show for a name a recap uh, back in Atlanta when you guys were the sponsor. And uh, seeing a couple of weeks at Hilton Head at the next name a conference. Thanks, Mike. See you Thanks then. for coming to Houston. Appreciate it. Thank All you. All right. He's Chris Hyde, our guest on episode 181 of The Green Insider, powered by eRenewable. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from, because as the saying goes, you learn something new every day, and we were responsible for today's lesson. From Mike Niemer, I'm Greg Frank. Everyone enjoy the rest of your days, and we'll talk to you later on episode 182.